Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, verses chapter 23, and verses uh, 1 through 8. This is at a particularly difficult time in the history of Israel when Jeremiah writes this. And it is a way in which uh, we see this theme that goes all through the Bible of God being likened to a shepherd and the people being sheep. So you might be familiar with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) I lack nothing. This is Jeremiah 23, same theme, uh, but with a bit of a different take on how things are going. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we ask that this morning you would help us to hear your voice, that as your word is read, as your word is proclaimed, that we would hear what you are saying to us. Lord, that this morning, by your word, by your spirit, we would be changed even more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 8. says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. They will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. Then they will live in their own land. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Where we see Paul who had... uh, started this church in Philippi, now unable to come to them because he is being held in prison, and so writing back to them uh, in his absence. And after explaining kind of the way of Jesus in, earlier in chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, 
Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This book is full of amazing verses that really do have the power to change the whole direction of a person's life, to change the whole character within a person if we really understood what they meant, if we really uh, believed them and lived them. And today we actually have one of those verses. And like I say, there are a lot of these verses throughout uh, between these covers. But today one of these verses, one of these sentences really is uh, that kind of, uh, of a verse where if you were to commit this one to memory and believe it at the level where it doesn't, it's not just the kind of thing where you would say, yeah, yeah, that's probably true, but it actually affected the way you made day-to-day decisions. It was because of how, uh, how much you really genuinely believe this to be the case. It would change the direction <laughs> uh, of your heart and your life uh, forever. It's that kind of verse. Before we get there, you need to understand the context of this verse. And so here we are, John chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And this is the starting part of a um, kind of famous conversation Jesus has with some Pharisees. And Part of the thing that he talks about as being the good shepherd, we're actually going to look at that next week. That's the part that's maybe a little more famous. This week, we're looking at the beginning part, uh, verses 1 through 10. And uh, the reason that we're looking at just this part today is so we don't miss what this part says as it gets overshadowed by the part that may be more well-known. Verses 1 through 10, though, really do, like I say, have the power uh, to change directions of lives. And this is, um, I'm not going to tell you which verse it is yet. You're just going to have to wait to see. (laughs) This is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees, and he says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. 
I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The first half of this, so as Jesus gives them this uh, illustration, and the Pharisees don't understand it. Did you understand it? The first, first pass through, as Jesus says these words, you go, yeah, got it. We're good to go. Maybe. He's using an illustration that's pretty easy uh, to follow if you kind of slow down and take it a bit at a time. So obviously he's talking to people who are familiar with uh, sheep and shepherding, as well as that image being used throughout the whole Old Testament for God and his people. And so on the one hand, he's talking about sheep and shepherding in those terms. And on the other hand, that's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about God and his people, right? So you will follow that so far. And he says that the sheep, you know, they're in the pen. And uh, it says the one, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. That's pretty self-explanatory. You've got the walls around the pen, and of course, anybody who actually is supposed to be there is going to come through the way you're supposed to go. If they're coming through some other way, probably not. You probably have at your house a way that the family enters, whether that's the front door, whether that's you know some side door, back door, however you do it at your house. There's the way in which family comes in. And you even probably have a way in which you receive visitors but I bet none of the way that your family enters or visitors enter is through a window, right? And especially not through breaking a window and then unlocking it and coming in. Anybody who enters that way, you're like, you're not supposed to be here, are you? (laughs) Same idea here. We get this. If you come in through legitimate means, you're probably supposed to be there. Otherwise, if you're coming in some weird, wrong way, you're not supposed to be there. This is somebody who's coming for no good. And so uh, this is what Jesus is talking about. And he says, actually, the, um, that those who have come before were actually thieves and robbers. But Jesus isn't. In fact, he describes himself as the gate. He says, I am the gate. He says it twice in here. And this is one of those times that we see throughout the book of John where we said there's seven times that uh, Jesus says, uh, I am, period. And there's seven other times where he says, I am, dot, dot, dot. I am the uh, vine. I am uh, the light of the world. This is one of those. I am the gate. Well, what in the world does that mean? (laughs) For Jesus to be the gate... tell you this. If a robber and thief can come over the wall, then that means the gate is not the only way to get in and out of the pen, is it? There are other ways. But only one is the way to life, and that is to follow the shepherd, go through the gate. 
One of the criticisms that Christianity receives often is that it's too narrow. Have you heard this? It's too narrow. How could there be only one way? Jesus says, I am the gate. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That kind of sounds like a gate. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says something similar. In Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And then Jesus says here, I am the gate. Jesus himself admits that the way is narrow. He admits with the critics of Christianity who say, Christianity is narrow. And he says, yes, it is. <laughs> I never claimed it wasn't. What I claimed is the narrow way is the way to life. That I am the gate that leads to life. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. If you were on a lifeboat in the middle of the ocean and you had bottled water with you and, so, and you said, this is what we need to drink and everybody else said, you're being too narrow. Look at all the water around us. We can drink from any of this. Why would you be so narrow as to say you have to drink only from the bottled water? And you would look out at all the water around you and say, because that will kill you. Yes, you can drink it, but the salt will dehydrate you and you will die. What Jesus is saying is there are other ways in and out of the pen. And there are other voices who will say, come here, sheep. <laughs> Come this way. But the question is, are they coming through the gate? Or are they coming over the wall? And the real question is, can we tell a difference? Can we tell a difference between those who are trying to steal us and the one who's come to save us? Jesus says his sheep know his voice. How do you know his voice? How can you recognize his voice? How can you discern his voice from all the other voices that we hear? One thing is, it's the voice of truth. He is the way and he is the truth. Here's the problem. Everyone in this room, I assume, believes you're pretty good at discerning truth from falsehood. If somebody tells you something, you can tell if they're lying or not, right? We're all good at that, except we're not. We think we're good at that, and we've all been fooled. And so uh, if you've ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie with someone who's really good at it, <laughs> and they tell you three things about themselves, two of them are true and one of them's not, 
and then you try to figure out which one's not. If you've played with somebody who's good at it, you're like, I have no idea. I know they're lying to me, and I don't know which one is a lie. We're not as good at it as we think we are. We're really good at it when we're dealing with little kids because they're terrible liars. But once they get a little older, they become more practiced at it. And then you watch a show like uh, To Tell the Truth. You remember that one? And you have three different people all claiming to be the same person, and you're watching going, maybe it's this one, maybe it's that one. I don't even know. I mean, I would say probably this one, but I wouldn't put any money on it because we're not very good at it. Because people are really good liars. And Satan himself is the father of lies. The master of it. He lies better than anybody. And it is so easy for us to hear the lies and go, that sounds right. This was the same situation that happened in the Garden of Eden. Isn't it? The serpent comes and starts whispering. And Eve goes, yeah, that sounds right. It looks like this fruit is good after all. This is the problem we all have. So how in the world do we discern? How is it that we recognize the voice we're supposed to be listening to? exactly right. For those of you who didn't hear, he said, you're holding it in your hand. <laughs> this is how we recognize his voice. The more time we spend uh, reading and studying the word of God, the more we will recognize the voice of God. That makes sense, right? Unfortunately, we often don't spend a lot of time uh, listening for his voice here, elsewhere. And so we hear voices coming from within and without us, and we say, yeah, that sounds pretty good, and we go right along with it. Here's the verse that can change your life if you really believe it. It's verse 10. It's where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I tell you this, most people I think will hear that and go, yeah, that sounds right. And walk away from it and live following the thief. What I'm saying is don't just hear this, but let this verse mess with you. Let it affect the way in which you make decisions. And what I mean is this, when Eve is there at the tree and the serpent comes to her and says, no, it's really good. It's good. You can have this. She has a choice to make. And the choice is, which voice am I going to listen to? God said, don't eat it. The serpent says, do eat it. In fact, he makes a pretty good case that maybe it's good to eat after all. If she believes that the serpent is the thief who has come to steal and kill and destroy... If she really believes that, then she'll say, you know what? It might look good to me, but I don't believe you. You're a liar. <laughs> and so, no, I'm going to listen to God because he has come that we would have life and have it to the full. 
if that's the case, if she really believed this, if she believed that God loved her and cared about her and wanted her to have life and not death, she doesn't eat the fruit. And what I'm saying is the same situation for us in our everyday decisions where we find ourselves about to say something. That he said we shouldn't say. But we've reasoned it pretty well ourselves. <laughs> that, yeah, I think this would be okay to say. If we believe this verse, that the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy, that the, in the power of our own tongue, we can side with that. And we can be those who join forces with him to steal and kill and destroy. We wouldn't say it. We wouldn't say it if we really believed that right? What we've done is we've twisted it around to make it seem like, oh no, you go ahead and say this. It's good to say this. No, it's not. On the other hand, we may have things that maybe we're supposed to say. And what happens instead? We twist it around and say, well, no, better not. I don't want anybody to think I'm a weirdo. And so we don't. There is... Um, when Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life, when he says that he is the gate, one of the things that means is that he is the one who lays down his life for the good of others. We'll see that some more next week in what he talks about. That he is the one that sacrifices his own life for the good of others. This is his way. It's what we see in the temptation of Jesus out in the wilderness when he's offered all kinds of other ways to greatness and he says, no, that's not the way. And he clings to the word of God and he stays true to this way of sacrificing his own life for the good of others. Has anybody seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? I'm going to assume most of you have. Anybody seen it recently, maybe this Christmas season? All right. For those of you who haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you. Uh, I will tell you right now, that movie has some pretty messed up theology. Just put that out there. And second, I love the movie. (laughs) Uh, Not because it has all its theology correct. It does not. But it does get some pretty big things right. And that is this. In the movie, the main character, George Bailey, is someone who he knows what he wants with his life. He knows what his life is going to be, and he's got it all planned out. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. And you see that throughout the movie, that he is consistently uh, wanting to do these things. He wants to travel. He wants to make lots of money. These are the things that are important to him. It's what he's going to do. And throughout the movie, you see he doesn't do any of it. Because one decision after another, after another, he keeps sacrificing what he wants for his life for the good of others. Over and over and over again. Contrasted to George Bailey, we have Mr. Potter. Who does the same thing. He makes the same decisions over and over and over, but the other way around. Where he knows what he's after and he will trample on anyone and everyone to get what he wants. And at the end of the movie... Like, as you keep on going through this, it just seems like Mr. Potter is getting everything and George Bailey is getting nothing, and this is just terrible. 
until you reach the end of the movie and you realize that no, the way that George was living was the way of real life. And that Mr. Potter was the shriveled up, uh, empty man who was just miserable, right? And that it's George Bailey, the one who has consistently sacrificed his own desires and his own life for the good of others. I say, that's a wonderful life. And the movie does a good job of painting that picture for us. Where we say, that is a wonderful life, even though all along the way, it seems so painful. And yet, it is a wonderful life. And that's where I think this, the movie does uh, a good job of theologically painting that picture for us. Of seeing that the way of Jesus is this way of sacrificing ourselves for the good of others. Now, that's not the same thing as uh, being trampled on and used by others just because. And you see that in the movie as well, as George repeatedly stands up to Mr. Potter. He doesn't (laughs) uh, do whatever he wants. He doesn't do whatever anybody wants all the time. He does what's going to be good for others. That's important, too. Um, and this is this is the way of Jesus, and it's also when he says he is the gate. It's that narrow way, but it is the way to life. And so he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come they may have life and have it to the full. In another place, he says that anyone who wants to save their life must lose it. Anyone who loses their, or will lose it, but anyone who loses their life for the sake of him and his kingdom will save it. This is the way. The way of Jesus is following him where he leads, and where he leads is to the cross. Where he leads is to laying down our lives, for the good of others. It is a narrow way. It is a painful way. But it is the way. It is the way to life. And there will be a lot of voices coming from all other directions, giving you all sort of other advice for what makes uh, a good life or what makes life worth living. Please, Recognize those voices as the ones who come over the wall. And listen, listen closely for the voice that lines up with this. The one who is the gate. The one who keeps you safe and leads you to life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.